Okay. So, hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Me and a Bunch of White Girls. Um, three episodes in. Feels pretty good. I don't think I have, like, a firm schedule. <laughs> uh, we're just kind of making it work. So, it is, like, 10 a.m. right now. <laughs> But I have um, my lovely friend Danielle is here uh, on the show, and I would like her to introduce herself to you guys, because I know how I would introduce you, um, but I want people to, like, you know, say their spiel, you know? I mean, I'm curious to hear how you would introduce me, but... (laughs) Yeah, so Danielle is an activist, womanist... Southerner, who's now based in Washington, D.C. Um, she is working at a reproductive justice organization, building up young people and representing, you know, in, in, in a lot of spaces in the movement that women of color are usually not present, at least not in leadership. And you're a leader. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're in leadership now. Uh, no. no, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much all of the things that I would say. Uh, I'm Danielle. Hi. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I am a womanist and activist, um, specifically an art, a reproductive justice activist. I'm originally from Birmingham, Alabama. Um, I will literally never introduce myself without saying that. Because I don't want nobody thinking I'm from Washington, D.C. No shade, but I come by this accent, honestly. Um, and I would also say that, you know, I'm a queer, non-binary um, and woman at the same time. That's complicated. Um, and... The same spaces that often don't see like women of color leadership also aren't seeing non-binary leadership, non-binary people of color leadership. Um, and so I'm working on talking about that more too. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like they have made room for you to do that too, which is great. Yeah, definitely. Um, particularly now I'm, I'm the, the whole leadership thing is new, but, um, particularly now that I'm in leadership, um, I'm really, being given the opportunity and figuring out how to really show up as someone who is, <clears throat> sorry, <laughs> show up as someone who is, you know, yes, I'm female assigned at birth and femme and also non-binary. And that means that when we're talking about reproductive justice, reproductive rights, health, etc., that we need to be talking about everybody because RJ mm-hmm. is for everybody and mm-hmm. not just um, female assigned at birth people who also identify as women. Yeah, so that was yeah. a whole tangent, but yeah, hi. Not even because that's <laughs> like honestly, I learned so much because we used to work together, which yes. is how we know each other. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much being there mm-hmm. that, like, I remember when I showed up in my interview, they're like, "Where do you see yourself in five years?" I was like, "Well, I think I would love to be like a comms director at Planned Parenthood," mm-hmm. not knowing all of the issues. No comment. <laughs> all of the things that I learned being at that organization. Like, I never would have known. The layman doesn't know. No, no, not at all. But hopefully, we'll be working on changing that. Exactly. Exactly. So, I'm grateful for the education, Mm -hmm. my two and a half year (laughs) education at that place. Like, it was useful. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. So, you're from Alabama. You've lived there your whole life. You went to school there. Yes. 
You got your master's from yes, there. I <laughs> So what is your master's in? So my master's degree is in, I think, gender and race studies. Mm-hmm. Or else women's studies. One of those. I don't spend a lot of time looking at my degree. <laughs> Basically women's studies. Okay. And like, what would, like, did you get to hone in and focus on one thing in particular? Yeah. So um, actually both of my degrees are in what boils down to women's studies. Mm-hmm. Um, my first one, uh, I actually did an interdisciplinary studies program, which we'll talk about more because mm-hmm. that's where the stuff happened. Mm. <laughs> but my master's degree um, is just generally in women's studies. But all of the work that I did, all of the classes I did, etc., we're talking about some combination of black women, queer women in the media. Mm. Um, so my, a lot of it was me watching, can I curse? Of course. (laughs) Okay. I figured so. (laughs) There's literally no one. (laughs) This is an independent production. Yes. So there's really no, there, there are no rules. Okay. I'm (laughs) trying to like maintain a PG-13 rating or anything. No. Mm, No. (laughs) So, um, so my like the things that I focused on might have been like watching these like terrible amazing fucking like black lesbian YouTube series mm-hmm. um and writing papers about it or um the last paper I wrote was about uh it was about queer men gospel music and the church Ooh. um yeah it almost got published but then didn't because by the time they were asking for edits I had like graduated mm. and I was like mm. No, mm. but um, yeah. So um, I really like dug in and studied like different combinations of like I would even say, go as far as say like black women, black women, queer people in the media. Um, and I kept it like vague enough that I could really do whatever it was I was interested in. Yeah, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah, I really yeah. think that's a drawback of some like colleges mm-hmm. and the way that they're structured. Mm-hmm. I actually talked about this with a friend a few years ago when I was like, we were really able to kind of craft our education, yeah. which was great. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, yeah, it was for some people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, it allowed a lot of people to avoid Oh, yeah. Learning about the things they probably should have been learning about. Yeah, 100%. Because, I like, mean, even in my, like, the interdisciplinary program I did, like, I um, basically was able to sidestep a lot of, like, white feminist theory. Because mm. I don't, I'm not interested in talking about theory. And so the flip side absolutely happened where people were able to sidestep, like, black feminist theory or yeah. um, uh, Chicana theory or, like, these other women of color because they were in the same program. Right. And it's like, oh, these things aren't quite the same. <laughs> like, there's a reason why I'm sidestepping that. Yes. But you definitely you should not be sidestepping all of this. Exactly. So, That's true. Yeah. So... You were, you went to University of Alabama for undergrad and grad. Roll Tide, I guess. (laughs) You're like, I guess. We can talk about that later. Um, So what kind of like experience did you have with white women in that space? Right. Um, So my relationship and proximity to whiteness is pretty interesting because I um, went to an art school that was all white. And so Mm. in this really particularly formative time in my life, I was pretty much surrounded by white folks. Um, And 
So it was not like uncomfortable for me to go to a predominantly white school. UA, when I went, had like a maybe 10% black population. Out of like 30,000? More like 50,000. Oh oh my God. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine. Yeah, no. UA, when I left, was knocking on like 50,000 people. Yeah. There were regularly classes where I was the only black person there. (gasps) (laughs) And these aren't like small group classes. (laughs) These are giant lectures. 30 people, 50 people classes. And I'm like, oh, there's the one other black person. Yeah. So, but um, I wasn't wasn't uncomfortable with that Mm. necessarily. At least not in like my first and second year of college where, you know, I was coming from this predominantly white school had a lot of like internalized anti-blackness um, that I was like starting to and sort of continuing to work through. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I probably the majority of my friends were white. Um, I spent a lot of time working with the um, or being part of the queer organization on campus, which was predominantly white, not as white as like the surroundings and like classes but Mm -hmm. still predominantly white um and it really wasn't until my like second or uh third or fourth year of university and a little bit my um master's program that I really like hung out with um folks of color or black folks and even then um not that much just because I'm like homebody who's afraid mm-hmm. of strangers <laughs> so I wasn't making a ton of friends anyway but uh you know I I was at my most militant mm. in college which is like a funny thing to juxtapose with um this anti-blackness um and I really sort of made a name for myself or really uh people knew who I was because I was the one who was mm. in class asking, well, what about black people? Mm. <laughs> what about, so we're talking about this feminist theory. We're talking about, you know, the ways that women are taught to perceive their bodies, but what about black women? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and then like, uh, uh, at that point during undergrad, um, in the women's studies program, there were either none or like one black professor okay and all of the other okay. uh, everyone else was white um and so <laughs> they weren't prepared to answer this question even though you know these are women who were talking about like feminism in the global south or mm. feminism in developing developing countries mm. and things like that so like these are like white women who theoretically worked with folks of color worked with you know um non-american black folks um, or non North American Black folks, mm-hmm. but weren't able to. These are women with PhD, <laughs> yeah, but weren't able to articulate. You know, how does this, you know, white feminist theory about the ways that white or the ways that women air quotes perceive perceive themselves? How does this interact with like race and class, um, and even gender? Yeah, um, yeah. And this was also in. Um, God, I graduated in. So this was like 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. So it's not like there was no like black or feminist exactly. theory around. Yeah. But it wasn't as, it wasn't really like embedded in popular culture and like regular conversation in the ways that it is now, whether folks know that that's what they're talking about or right. not. Right. Right. Yeah. 
I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, that was perfect. So, like, now that we're, like, in this space, I think you've contextualized mm-hmm. it pretty well. Mm-hmm. What were some of the <laughs> most mm-hmm. problematic mm-hmm. things, like, you heard, microaggressions mm-hmm. you experienced, like, being in that space particularly? Yeah. So, I think the big one that I really, like, immediately thought of when um you sort of invited when you invited me to be on here Mm -hmm. was um I like I said in my undergrad I did an interdisciplinary studies program and which really opened the door to like (laughs) me learning how to justify no just let me take this class it's totally a part of the program (laughs) (laughs) it makes sense I mean I could write something about it but I shouldn't really have to you should get it. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's only, see, it's like, there are women, it's women's studies, because we didn't, to clarify, we didn't have a women's studies uh, major, Okay. so that's why I took the interdisciplinary gotcha. studies. But, um, so I was taking this class, and it was, um, like, fashion and culture, or something okay. like that. Um, and if you didn't know, um, the entire world of fashion is super racist. Yeah. But, um, I did a lot of butting heads with pretty much everyone in this class. So this was one of those smaller classes. I think there were maybe 10 people in the class, including the professor. Um, one of the smaller instances that I can think of is like, we were talking about the dress code rules for going to clubs in Tuscaloosa, Mm -hmm. which were like, Hmm. no, I mean, it was basically no, no black people, but it was like, no caps, no sagging pants, no jerseys, no, like all of this shit that was basically like, if you dress like a black dude, don't come here. Right. And again, I was the only black person in this class and my professor was like, well, why do we think this is? Um, and she put it in the context of these sort of counterculture, uh, Outfits. So she talked about like leather jackets and mohawks and all of these things. And we were really getting into like, what does it mean to be a counterculture, blah, blah, blah. And then I raised my hand and I'm like, it's also racist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she like literally this woman in her like 40s, 50s, PhD, all of this shit. She just goes, is it like genuinely asking me like, oh, do you really think that's what it is? As if it had never occurred to her. And I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> So, uh, all right. You can sit down. I've got it from here. It's good. I'm actually going to talk about that yeah. now. And so, and there are a couple of different instances. And I think that part of the reason why I tell that story is I think that it's important to note that, like, I wasn't just butting heads with the other, like, students. Right. I was butting heads with my professor. Right. Um, this was neither the first nor the last professor that I would butt heads with. But that's another story for another day. Um, and so this one time we were, uh, we were talking about sweatshops in, uh, I think, Indonesia. Because mm-hmm. um, ultimately, we no, we were talking about cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was... Just fucking like trying to drag even just a little bit of understanding out of these white girls who were like early 20s, never been like really challenged in their life to understand why, like, no, you can't wear a fucking bendy or you can't wear a war bonnet. Or you can't wear shit that you don't know what it means. Sorry. You can't wear shit <laughs> that you don't know what it means. And so <clears throat> I hate that you have to explain that. Like, we had we there were books we read we like literally read 
accounts with people talking about this is my culture this is why this is important this is why this is like spiritually sacred mm-hmm. please don't do it and so I was literally in this back and forth with this one little white girl and she's like well why does it matter and so I'm like give <laughs> I just said I just said it I just told you why it matters why are you the thing is the thing is like Clark I'm smart. Like, I'm pretty fucking smart. Yes. And I'm articulate and I know how to argue and make points. And so, and even more so then than now, because it was fucking women's studies program. Mm-hmm. All we did was argue. Uh, and so I'm like making all these points. It's spiritually sacred. You don't know what it means. Da, da, da. This is what cultural appropriation is. Yeah. And she's literally like, but why does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to set up a, a shop. For, like, Indonesian women to, like, design bracelets. Of course you do. <laughs> of course you do. Of course like, you like do. Indonesian women who are being, like, abused and make bracelets and all this other bullshit. And then I'm like, how do you know they're abused? <laughs> oh, so, so dumb. Um, yeah. Yeah. That just, like, rings in my head sometimes when I, like, talk to white women now who, like, clearly don't understand um, why I'm talking about race at all. I just hear, but why does it matter? Wow. (laughs) That's uh, scary. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) (laughs) so we have this whole back and forth. It gets pretty heated. Like, this is, like, one of the top three, like, times that I probably should have just walked out of the classroom. Mm -hmm. But, um... After that, like, we wrap it up, they leave, and then it's just me and the professor in the classroom as I'm, like, getting my stuff together. And she starts talking about how, you know, I'm really smart and she really appreciates the perspective that I bring, but I need to, like, but she suggests that I, like, tone it down so that the other people in the class don't get intimidated and don't like feel like they can't share their opinions because like I might I don't know like basically what she's saying is like chill out before you scare these little white girls (laughs) and I'm I'm just like so this is literally like a professor someone who gets paid to teach yeah talking to me like this student that's probably the most like passionate and gives the most of a shit about what she's talking about yeah because like frankly like this is a fashion and culture class like it could be really easy to be like oh it's just fashion it doesn't matter like Mm -hmm. this is just a bird course or whatever Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and it's like no i understand why this matters and why this is important and then there's this professor this person who's been there for forever who has a lot of institutional power telling me that i'm intimidating people (laughs) it's like by basically doing what you would do in a paper yes out loud. I'm intimidating people by being good at what you asked me to do, which is read and think critically. Hmm. But I'm intimidating. <laughs> um, so what was your like initial reaction to her saying that? I felt really shitty. Yeah. Because this is a professor that I really liked, who I really like looked up to. Um, and I... You know, this was in like my sophomore year or something. So really at the beginning of my militancy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Cause like, had she called me like a year later, I would have been like, <laughs> fuck this, fuck you. <laughs> but, um, no, I felt really shitty and I felt like I 
I was then like worried about taking up too much space. I didn't like have that language, but I was really like, oh shit, I really need to like tone it down and like calm down Mm -hmm. as if I was like uncalm at any point. Um, And I was like, oh, well, she must be right because, you know, she's a professor. She has all this institutional power. She knows and has seen all of these students. So clearly, like, I'm the person in the wrong. Mm. Um, And so that lasted for, well, I, I tried to tone it down and it didn't work because people kept saying dumb shit. (laughs) It's like, look, you're like looking at her at the side of your eye like. You need to get that because you asked me and I'm sitting here. I'm trying to do it, but they're making it really difficult. And that's really truly what it was is that like, not that it, it shouldn't be the job of a fucking like 19, 20 year old student to like, be like, actually what you just said was really racist or really like insert oppression here, but she wasn't doing it. Right. And she was clearly not interested in having a conversation about oppression that was outside of gender-based oppression. And not even that, outside of, like, the oppression that cis women experience, cis white women. Right. And so when someone said something that wasn't, like, misogynist, but was, like, Mm. one of these other types of oppression, she wouldn't say anything. Hmm. And had asked me not to say, told me not to say anything. So this should just happen. And it got, and that's how things get normalized when people say fucked up things and no one checks them on it. And then it's, they're just like, oh, well, I guess that was okay then. Yeah. So, um, I felt really shitty and tried really hard for about a month and a half. Not, it wasn't even that long. <laughs> <laughs> Zero. Um, it was a class or two, and then you just a couple classes, <laughs> and then I was like, um, "No, actually, we're yeah. just gonna fight this whole semester." Like, yeah. I don't give a shit. Like every, like every thing you say that is wrong and fucked up, I'm going to talk about it. But like, even the flip side to that then is that I'm just out here on my own. Like, I don't have the protection, air quotes, Mm. of a professor backing me up. Um, I don't have that institutional Mm. power behind me. I'm just out here on my own telling you, actually, no, this is wrong and this is wrong and you shouldn't say this, et cetera. And so then everyone else in that class is then able to paint me as, like, the problem person in class. Right. (laughs) Because the professor did it first. Yeah, because the professor did it first and, like, doesn't say anything and frankly like i don't feel like if they were this is pure speculation but Mm -hmm. like if they were to have been talking about me when i wasn't there there's no reason for me to believe that the professor would be like actually no y'all are in the wrong right because like she had already made it clear that like oh no you're scaring people (laughs) so so when you were when you were in in your firmly in your militancy, <laughs> did you have professors like her? Um, yes, <laughs> I had to think about it for a minute. Yeah, who basically said because you said like it was not the first professor I had issues with, but who mm-hmm. thought along the same lines that like you in your rightness Mm -hmm. that I don't understand Mm -hmm. and can't defend because I don't have that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You are too much. There was a professor um, in a class that 
I will not name, mm-hmm, <laughs> who um, I was at that point really invested in talking about basically the canon and the things that people were teaching and like really asking I, what I was trying to do and admittedly wasn't was sort of fumbling towards because I, again I was like 20 years old yeah. and was just like I know this isn't right I don't know how to like talk about it tactfully air quotes I don't mm. know how to like approach it in a way that people will not feel attacked about but I just know that this isn't right and so I asked this professor um if there were any folk um, it was a history of like a particular a particular oppressed group, mm. um, and it it was um, not racially oppressed, uh, okay. not about a racially oppressed group. And so I asked the professor if any of the um, materials that we were reading were by people of color. Mm-hmm. So first of all, <laughs> just as a tip for anyone who might be listening who's going into teaching, your syllabus in 2018 shouldn't be shouldn't not have people of color right that's just absurd like it shouldn't i don't give a shit what you're teaching it just shouldn't yeah but um so this professor was just like no but i'll work on it for next year and now as a 27 year old i probably would have just dropped that class right 20 as a 20 year old i'm like "Mm, no i think we're gonna keep talking about Mm. this (laughs) and so um It was just like butting heads every day about everything. Um, And this time, similar, it wasn't, the intimidating wasn't the word that was used, but it was, the implication was that I was doing too much. We were talking about um, the fucking Macklemore song. Oh my God. The Um, thrift shop one? No, no, no. Same love. Oh. Totally giving away what this class is about. (laughs) um, We were talking about same love and I was talking, similarly, actually, I was talking about how, first of all, why is this white man rapping? Second of all, why is this straight man rapping about gay shit? That, <laughs> yep, yep. And so, again, got into a very passionate conversation mm-hmm. um, about, and I was a straight up, like, frankly, I don't, I don't feel this. I might feel this right now. I don't know. I haven't really investigated it. But then I was like, frankly, I don't think white people should be rapping. <laughs> <laughs> Like, if we really want to talk about it, <laughs> you shouldn't even be here. <laughs> so extra. <laughs> oh, God. I was just doing so much. <laughs> and so I was. And so this conversation that was initially about, uh, fuck it, it was about like marriage equality and mm-hmm. um, who gets to represent the queer mm. community, et cetera, et cetera, then turns into this conversation about rap and cultural appropriation and mm. white people rapping. And so this guy who had been an asshole to me in other contexts earlier in the class um, tries to talk over me. <laughs> And I like, like I was in the middle of a sentence and he tries to say something and I basically yell, I was talking. Yeah. Um, and continue my point and like, whatever that we didn't get anywhere. He continued to be an asshole. And then he was like, oh my God. And she's racist. It's white people. Oh my God. <laughs> Cause he was arguing that. I don't know, rap is for everyone or culture is for everyone, some bullshit. I don't know. That uh, you would feel that way. Yeah. You he you was a would. black guy. He was a black guy. Really? Yeah, he was black. 
Um, oh, whoa. Yeah, he was just on some respectability bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck him. That's like, surprising. <laughs> he was also fucking transphobic and probably still oh, is. God. So I have, I feel, have no qualms about being like, fuck that guy. Yeah. But, um, after that, um, again, the professor was, she didn't even like really dress it up as like, I appreciate you doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. She was just like, you're doing too much. You're like, taking up too much space you need to settle down um and i want to say that the context is a little different because it was a conversation between me and another black person but honestly it wasn't Mm -hmm. because the context was and continues to be oh you are at least this person that i'm reading as a woman you are uh, this woman this black woman um who is you know, doing too much air quotes, but mm-hmm. by doing too much, what they actually mean is you're like saying what you need to say and not really like shrugging away or like trying to shirk it or like trying to be like, well, you know, you're right, but also did you sort of mm-hmm. hedging? Because mm-hmm. um, I didn't. I'm not interested in doing that when it comes to talking about like things that a I'm knowledgeable about and b know that you're fucking wrong about Mm -hmm. um and so like there have been other times where I've been called intimidating um in more less formal more social settings Mm -hmm. which are like at the time were harder for me to point out as like oh this is racist (laughs) right um or oh this is uh you know misogynoir this is like not specifically like about me being a black woman but those instances were really like because they were wrapped up in like this institutional power and in this system of like oh well you're the professor I'm the student so you must be right there was like real this real moment of like oh shit am I wrong did I do something Mm -hmm. wrong when Mm -hmm. now like I realize no I didn't do anything wrong the issue is that like you don't want me to (laughs) I don't know if it's that you no it's both like a you don't want me to tell the truth frankly and b you don't want me to do it in a way in a presentation that makes you uncomfortable even though that the the reason even though the reasons that you're uncomfortable with it have everything to do with my race yeah so (laughs) yeah and i feel like they would also be the first ones to be like it's not about race oh absolutely and then in their (laughs) explanation of what it's about it's like you justify (laughs) you're just so aggressive (laughs) are we do we not i mean the history books don't talk about all of it, yeah. but I feel like they talk about enough of it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you know better. Yeah. By a no, certain I point. Think that, I think that it's... I think that it's important that both of these things happen um, from white women. Mm-hmm. And I will point out that, like, both of these things happen... Or these things, these, like... Both of these things came from white women... One of these things came from like a gay butch woman. Mm. So it's not even like, you know, know, gay white folks love to think that they can't be racist because they're gay. Mm. Um, Similarly to the way that white women think that they can't be racist because they're women. Mm -hmm. But like, 
I don't give a shit. Like, if you're not oppressed in that way, like, you're totally capable of enacting that oppression. In fact, even if you are, like, internalized oppression is a thing, like, you are able to enact that. And so thinking that, oh, just because I hold this identity means that I can't be X, Y, and Z type of oppressive, silly, it's bullshit. Um, And I also think that because particularly somewhat now but particularly then racism was so framed as like i'm doing something to you i'm saying a slur i'm being violent physically violent to you in this way that they didn't read their like oh well i'm just trying to like protect the class and protect the atmosphere of the class right as what it was which was racism right <laughs> Right. Because like none of none of my, you know, classmates got this talk. Right. <laughs> or if they did, like I certainly wasn't aware of it. Though TBH none not many of my other classmates were interested in like having as passionate a discussion as I was. <laughs> gotcha. So. Gotcha. So from that first instance mm-hmm. in that class, fashion and culture, mm-hmm. to the second in- instance that you mentioned mm-hmm. when you were firmly in your militant <laughs> status, what happened in between those two things? Like, mm. how did you change? Was there a moment that kind of spurred it on? Was it a gradual education? Do you mean, like, how did I get to the point of yeah. being like, militant? Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Tumblr. (laughs) (laughs) No one's surprised. Man, I miss Tumblr. I know it still exists, but there was a moment when it was just really great. The thing about Tumblr and to a lesser degree Twitter is that like at that point, there were a lot of folks online who were doing black feminist theory who were like outside of academia Mm -hmm. or who you know, were inside of academia and were like, "Mm, actually, this doesn't work for me. Yeah. Like, I'm going to take your theories and I'm going to take your education and then I'm going to figure out how they apply to black women and black people. And then I'm going to talk about that and basically spin it out into this like completely different um, or separate uh, discipline. Mm -hmm. So I was doing and Tumblr and Tumblr and to a lesser extent Twitter Mm -hmm. really were equalizers in that people were just putting black feminist theory up online for people to read. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't about, oh, you don't have access to JSTOR or Mm -hmm. you aren't taking such and such class. It's just there. You can just read it. Um, And so a lot of my like real like political awakening came from that like having access to all of those things um and having access to at least an online space where it was it was like the oppression that you feel is real like these experiences that you have are real and valid um and also it's not your job to educate people Mm. this is still a thing that is like popular amongst like young people circles the whole it's not your job to um as an oppressed person to explain your or explain or educate people on your oppression, which I do still believe is just ironic because now I have a job where it is literally <laughs> my job <laughs> to do those things. Um, 
Which gets interesting because hmm. sometimes people come into the job with that same mindset and yeah. you have to be like, no, baby, it is. It like literally is your job now. You're getting paid <laughs> yeah. to do it. Like now. it's not your job as a person yeah. or a human being to do that, yeah. but as a like professional, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those things and really coming into things like reproductive justice and doing LGBTQ activism and really like embracing that and figuring out, oh, these are the things that I'm really, excuse me, these are the things that I'm really passionate about and particularly around like LGBTQ liberation because, sorry, excuse me, no, you're fine. LGBTQ liberation because the like queer and trans folks that I were see I was seeing in Tuscaloosa, Alabama were primarily white folks and mm. prim- and like dealing with that whole, oh, I can't be racist because I'm X. Mm. Um so there is a lot of calling out. This was also very deep into um the actually no, it was towards the beginning of the whole call out culture. Mm. And you can decide if you believe that's a thing or not. Mm. But um calling out was very popular. Right. <laughs> and so um at that point I was really all about like I had like all of it, right? I had yeah. I know that these things are real, I know these things are happening, I know what to call them, and I'm being encouraged to call them out, being encouraged to be like, actually that's fucked up, drops mic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not necessarily having the conversation afterwards. Um, and so it was really a combination of like those pieces that led to me being like, I don't really, and like I felt sort of untouchable, for lack of a better mm. word, because not, I mean, I felt this way, it wasn't accurate. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I mean, at my, like, at my core, I am an academic. <laughs> like, I am very good at academia. I am, at, like, I, my natural inclination is towards critical thought yeah. and argument and articulation. And so I was a good student. Mm-hmm. Good in the sense that, like, I was really successful. I graduated with a really high GPA. Mm-hmm. Like, and so... And to some degree, I was the teacher's pet in the way that that works in university. I see. Where, you know, you have your professors who maybe aren't that much older than you or maybe, like, see some of themselves in you and really, like, you're able to build a really strong relationship with them. And so I had those professors. um, And I guess in my head, that somehow gave me protection from other Hmm. professors who weren't interested in having that conversation. All of these things together meant that I felt like I could really um, say what I meant <laughs> and, yeah. and say it with my chest and be like, yeah. that's fucked up. And I, you know, quickly found out that, yeah, I can do those things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that anything's going to change. And it doesn't mean that even though I'm telling the truth, anyone's going to like take it seriously or appreciate it. So. Yeah. So... And that, like, feeds really well to this next thing of, like, mm-hmm. you had these moments over your college career yeah. before mm-hmm. and I'm sure after post. <laughs> what has changed about your interactions with the people who, quote unquote, think you're too much or you're doing too much or you're intimidating yeah. and taking up too much room? Mm-hmm. Um Mostly when people tell me I'm intimidating or I intimidate them, I'm just like, I am. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you going to do? 
Yeah. <laughs> like, what mm. are you going to do? Because, like, you're clearly... I have been told that I am intimidating. I've been told that I'm, like, scary. Or that my, like, intelligence or my, the, my like, ability to, like, do give an argument... Yes. Like, scares people. I've been told, like, you're so smart, it scares me. Or I'm afraid to talk to you. And it's like... I'm really nice. <laughs> I'm nicest. a very kind person. I'm like, I just, I know these things about myself. I yeah. know that like, I'm really polite. Like yeah. all of the ways that you can be nice, I am. <laughs> and so I've come to understand that like, if all you're interested in seeing is, oh, this person is supposedly smarter than me or, oh, this person like s- says what they mean. Yeah. And not aren't I'm not like hedging, and you read that as scary. You choose to read that as scary, and ignore all of these other qualities of how like I'm really kind and helpful, and like et cetera, et cetera. That's not my problem. <laughs> yeah, you're choosing. Yeah, to be intimidated. Yeah, <laughs> and scared. Yeah, because you're you're not trying to get to know me. You're not trying to like really look beyond your own impressions of me which are like impacted by your biases including racism yeah um in fact including like sizeism including like uh a weird form of classism Mm. (laughs) Mm. where like you because i'm black or like whatever i won't even go into like classism and white people and being (laughs) white A like neither rich nor poor black person and mm. the expectation like mm. I have been told that the whole like you speak so well yep and what, yep. whatever whatever yep. <laughs> like you, if you're like if all you're going off of is your first impression which is inflicted it, like impacted by your internal biases mm-hmm. and you're not interested in stepping beyond that to look at who I am as a person and you're deciding oh well Danielle is scary because that's how I feel. That's my first, like, my initial impression. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I don't have the time. I don't have the time. I'm very busy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I can't. I have a lot of shit to do on the day to day. And, like, in, like, convincing someone that they should like me or convincing someone that I'm actually really personable like for what yeah yeah (laughs) why am i gonna like fight with fight with you fight against you deciding that you have an excuse to not like me or have an excuse to think of me this way yeah if you're not willing or don't have the time to like do the work yourself yeah yeah and it it's a a really easy quick way to dismiss what you've said yeah (laughs) And not take it seriously and not learn something. Yeah. Like, if you're actually intimidated that this person knows more than you, maybe you should think about what they actually said. Yeah. yeah. Do some fucking homework or something so that you now know more. (laughs) You are now someone who can go into a space and be like, no, no, no. I've done the back groundwork on this so now i can speak to this thing that i couldn't before because mm-hmm. i didn't know any better yeah but you and don't want to do that no. 
No, so, you just it's want so to be much like, easier oh, to be like, scary. <laughs> you're scary. Yeah. You're intimidating. You're so smart. It scares me. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, I really believe in the, like, fuck the ivory tower. Like, I don't mm-hmm. believe in knowledge hoarding. I don't mm-hmm. believe in being like, oh, I know the most. Like, I'm coming in this room knowing the most and therefore I'm the best. Like, whatever it is that I'm apparently so smart about that intimidates you, let me know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, a bitch will hook you up. <laughs> I, you not like not saying that I'm smarter than you or anything like that, but you know, like I have given you like lists of books yes. to read if you're interested yeah. in. Happy to do that. You want to talk about music? I will make you a playlist with like yes. hundreds of songs on it and sit there and talk to you about like how rock music is influenced by jazz or like whatever like yeah. bullshit trivia. I know, mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. more than happy to love to do that sort of thing yeah but if you are still like working with your initial impression of this person is scary yeah yeah <laughs> they're so smart and they don't um they like like i don't when people tell me i'm smart i'm like yeah i am <laughs> it like yeah. the, it's it is a like uh therapy technique frankly but like mm. it is a thing that i do because i spent so long like shitting on myself and being like oh you're not actually that smart you're not special you're not blah 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 and doing that sort of negative self-talk and now i i like i force myself i have to be like yes yeah. i am <laughs> yeah and people don't like that either but um you know if you yeah, it's just that. Like, if you're you're missing out and you're like yeah. choosing to miss out, yeah, and that's fine <laughs> for you. That's fine for you. <laughs> Frankly, it's fine for me because I'm not trying to convince anybody that I'm actually a cool person. Yeah, like I know I am. I would love for you to decide that I am also like a cool, interesting person that you want to get to know. But if you are just like, oh, Danielle's intimidating, then yeah, I am. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Because it's not your job. It's not. It's not your personal job. It's not. <laughs> it's not my interest. It's no. not. Like, I don't know. If you, sure. If you don't believe that, okay. <laughs> okay. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really that easy for me. Like, I don't, it's, there was a time in my life where I would have been really invested in like, no, I'm not scary. I'm not intimidating. Let me show you. I'm going to be like extra nice Mm. to you. And there's no real benefit. No. Because usually when people have, have decided that they can just write you off in that way, um, (laughs) once you do convince them to like you air quotes, like it's, it's not going to be like a fair and balanced relationship. Because you've done all of this work to get them to like you. Yes. And what have they done? Yes. <laughs> they haven't really done anything other than like submit to you like finally being like, oh, okay, fine. You're nice. Yeah. <laughs> like that's not a friendship. That's not a relationship. No. So. <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> I love that. Yay. <laughs> I think that's a perfect way to end the show actually. Yeah. And I didn't even plan it. <laughs> I'm telling you, Clark, I'm really good at talking. <laughs> when everyone to know, like, all they say, you know, these wrap-ups have been going so smoothly. I really didn't plan any of that. I'm just glad it's happening naturally. I yeah. really am. So, Danielle, yeah. 
Do you want to share where people can find some of your extended thoughts? Mm, my extended thoughts? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like your social media handles or blogs or websites or wherever they can find like more of your thoughts, your writing, anything like that. Mm, mostly no. <laughs> well, hold on. Hold on. I have something. So I will give you, how about this? I'll give you, um, my Twitter, which okay. is up the femme, U-P-T-H-E-F-E-M-M-E, up mm-hmm. the femme. Um, you can follow me there. I, I mostly tweet about, um, how rock and roll is black music, mm-hmm. um, and how Maroon 5's first album, Songs About Jane, is their only good album. <laughs> It was, my, ready for it was my pin tweet for a really long time. I had a lot of feelings about it. Oh, it was so good. And they it just was great. squandered it. It was great. Um, I'm not very online in a public way, um, but I will name some places that I'd love for you to check out and donate to. Love! <laughs> Such as um, the Yellowhammer Fund, which is an abortion fund um, in based out of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Yes. That is, that is near and dear to my heart. Love it. Um, oh, shit. I thought of one other, and now I've lost it. It's in gone. Alabama? No. There was, I thought of one in Alabama and one in D.C. But now I can't Ooh. think of it. So we'll just stick with the Yellow Hammer Fund right now. Great. Check me out on Twitter. Go donate to the Yellow Hammer Fund. That's it. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Danielle, for being on the show. Of course. Um, for an extended interview with Danielle, uh, visit our Patreon website at www.patreon.com forward slash MBWG podcast. Um, learn more about her, her work, what she's up to. Follow us on Twitter at MBWG Podcast and on Instagram at MBWG Podcast. <laughs>